0: Well, just to recap, uh, first of all, we are entering, I think the second week now, right, of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And um, we're believing that through this process, God is going to perform some uh, heart surgery on us as a church, meaning that he's going to go deep and he's going to bring about the change that he wants to see in his church so that we can embody um, the uh, resemblance of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. And so it's why we're preaching this series called The Table, which was introduced so beautifully by our team today with that song. And how many of you love that song? Is it just me? I'm not like self-indulgent, like that was awesome, right? And um, we just believe that there was a culture that the church used to um, embody that was a table culture. And so uh, we started this last week and we talked about how uh, a characteristic of the table is pretty obvious, right? That it is horizontal and not vertical, right? And in fact, we we talked about how in a lot of churches today, there are um, aspects where it models a vertical table, Right? As if there's a table that one end is up here on the pulpit and the other end leans down towards everyone sitting in rows to just be spoon fed everything that comes from one man who happens to be standing um, in the spotlight. And a lot of times, there's this consumer culture that we have to constantly fight against um, uh, because it's a part of our everyday culture uh, to where we come here, we get fed, and then we leave uh, before the mess is even cleaned up. But God's table is horizontal, and when you come to a horizontal table, you come with both the privilege and the expectation that you're going to contribute something. When you come to a big gathering with your family members, uh, usually you're going to bring a dish to share. And when you sit there, it's not everybody fend for themselves and reach over the table and, and dig in and grab whatever you want, but it's, can you pass the bread, please, Joe? Yes, I can. Well, thank you very much. Can you pass the, pota- can you pass the potatoes, Ashley? Right? And, and we're serving one another at this horizontal table. And this is so much more than, than just what we do when we share meals. But this is a type of culture that God's church used to really embody. In other words, it was very others focused. And so the horizontal table reminds us it's not about me. It's about others. Amen? I heard a pastor say one time that it breaks down to basic mathematics that me equals misery, but others equals joy. If you have a me-me focus, you're usually a miserable person. But if you are focused on others, joy tends to follow. And so we spent a little bit of time last week talking about how the way that our architecture, our buildings are designed From the shape of it, the rooms within it, where the walls are, the layout of the worship center, as well as the seating arrangement, it communicates something. And Winston Churchill once said that we shape our buildings and afterwards our buildings shape us. And so as you study early church history, we find that they originally met around tables, and so out of that was birthed such a compelling culture that we read about in Acts chapter 2 that the Bible says that their numbers were added to, added to daily those who were being saved. That's powerful. And so although in the advancement of the church building, which again was modeled after a secular building called a basilica, where the focus is all put on someone who sits on a throne, um, and then the rest are down below to, to receive as he, as he orchestrates the meeting, is it possible that over the course of the last 1700 years when church buildings first became uh, prominent, that we have transitioned from engaged participants to disengaged spectators. And so although the answer cannot be completely found in architecture or seating arrangement, we have to pay attention to what we are communicating when we come together. And so our heart as a church here at Fountain of Life is that we embody a table Culture. See, in some ways, we've enhanced the church gathering experience. Let's be honest. I love sound systems. Did you not love the sound system this morning? I love that, that the band can be up here so that we can easily follow them, right? Um, and, and I love that we have more space so that more of us can gather together. That's really amazing. But yet what I fear is that in some ways, when we left behind the table, we left behind a powerful culture. And so my heart is simply not that we like tear down the building and go back to people's homes, but that we recapture some of what has been lost. And so last week we talked about how the table is horizontal. This week we're gonna talk about how the table is extendable. And so I brought with me this morning my table from my kitchen area, okay? This is where we eat most of our meals and we save our big dining room table for when we have people over. But this one, like our dining room table, is extendable. But how many of you know that to extend a table, it's a two-person job, right? So I wanna invite Jonathan to come up here. He's gonna help me extend this table. This is what you saw them doing earlier. They jumped the gun, okay? And so we're gonna pull this apart. And this is one of the first things we do, right? When we know we're having family over, is we extend the table in order to make room for all of the guests that we're going to have. And what's really interesting about this, and and yeah, a little bit more, and, and the reason why it applies, er, there we go. The reason why it applies so well to us is there's something very literal and physical that's happening right now that as I it's okay if it doesn't push together. Maybe we'll try one more time if it doesn't push together. We'll, yeah, let's just leave it because you get the idea, right? But as I invited Jonathan to come be a part of something I was doing, the space was extended and it created more room to share and to serve and to love. And so I'm here to talk to you this morning about extending your table. See, no matter what your purpose is, part of it is helping others step into theirs. God has not asked you to do anything by yourself, but instead, he's built within you, within your purpose, the ability to expand and to bring others along. And so we wanna take a few moments here at the tables you're sitting at to have a little discussion. I want you to talk about someone in your life who really made a big impact on you. Maybe it was a mentor, a pastor, a teacher, uh, maybe even like a football coach, whatever it is. And what did you gain from that relationship? What did they really deposit in your life? So let's take about six minutes and discuss it at our tables. And then we'll open up the word of God and see what he has to say. All right. I hope that everybody had a chance to share If not, I'm sorry. Let me just give a quick plug. If you enjoyed that and you're like, that was way too short. I need more of that in my life. We have life groups that meet throughout the week. And so we've got a Monday group, we've got a Tuesday group, and we've got a Thursday group right now. And as well as if if you are a, a, a man and you're looking for a Bible study, we have a men's Bible study on Wednesday nights as well. And those are opportunities for you to really connect and relationship. And they're very enthusiastic. So come check it out. Awesome. So... There's something that really jumped out to me from God's word that I wanna share with you real quickly before we even get into the meat of this message. And it is the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse two. He um, is talking to his disciples and it says, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great. Everybody, somebody say that with me today. The harvest is great. Okay? I'll tell you why I had you do that. But the workers are few. Somebody say, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so I had you repeat that because I think that our attitude reflects the opposite of what Jesus said. Typically, we we respond in such a way to the the commission of the gospel as if... The workers are plenty, and the harvest is very few. And why, the reason why I say that is because we'll often make excuses like, nobody wants to be preached at. I know what they'll say. I know how they'll react. That's the last person I'd ever expect to show up in church, right? We say these things. And then we say, I'm not a gifted evangelist. I don't know that I know how to share my story. I'm not not sure how confident I would be in trying to lead someone to Christ. And so what we're communicating there is, I will leave that up to the professionals. In other words, nobody really wants to hear the gospel message anyway. And if they did, I'm the last person to tell them about it. The workers are plenty. And the harvest is very few. But in reality, Jesus said it's the exact opposite that the harvest is plenty, the workers are few. And when he tells us to pray, most of us are getting this wrong, including myself. I say, Lord, bring in a great harvest. Lord, send us those that are hungry so that they would come to church and sit down and I can give them an invitation from the pulpit and they will come to Christ. Lord, send us a great harvest to this church. But Jesus never told us to pray that way. He said, pray that God would send out more workers into his fields. So there are two types of numbers that Jesus is clearly tracking in this passage. Number one, the number of workers sent out, which we're gonna focus on today. And number two, which we'll focus on a little bit next week, the number of harvest, the number of souls saved. Nowhere in scripture are we commanded or even incentivized To simply gather as many people together in one building as possible. And yet, that is what we define, that's how we define success when it comes to church. How many people can we cram into a room? Now, I do believe God wants our building full. Why would He give us all this space, right, if He didn't want it full? But ultimately, He wants heaven full. And I hate to break it to some of you. But just because you're sitting in a church doesn't mean you're on your way to heaven. The gateway into the kingdom of God is not Fountain of Life Church on 1119 East Hearn Road. And so that can't be our goal. In fact, the gospel has never been solely about how many people it can bring in, but more about how many people can be sent out. And when we gather, listen to this, we gather, so that we can scatter. We gather so that we can be equipped to scatter. And when the church realizes this, I just got this image in my mind, I think this is from the Holy Spirit. It's a shotgun versus a pistol. <laughs> See, if we, are, if we are going out for a harvest, maybe we're, um, we're uh, quail hunting, which I went with my dad once and it was, pretty scary. I learned not to walk in front of him. Um, <laughs> he brought a shotgun <laughs> because when we stirred up those birds, it was quick. It was just, A-poof! and there might be three or four or more flying in the same area, and they all dropped at the same time. We need to have a shotgun approach as a church, okay? We are not going to reap a great harvest unless we are scattered And I believe that's something, a shift in focus that God wants to take place here at Fountain of Life. We need to extend the table. It means we need to bring someone else alongside of us so that they can be a part of what we're doing. And this ties into the Great Commission, but we're not really gonna hit that just yet today. But I wanna give to you this morning uh, four ways Still says three here. Four ways that you can extend your table. Number one is this take someone with you. Pretty simple, right? Take someone with you. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. This is a beautiful story. Paul, it's well, I'll just read it. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. That's important. Remember that. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Somebody say, take somebody with you. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised. Somebody say, ouch, just kidding. Before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. And check this out, verse five is very powerful. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. I am so hungry, church, to return to a time where church growth is happening on a daily basis. Where, it's, where it's, it's not so much about the Facebook ads that we put out, or uh, the clever illustrations that the pastor spends too much time on, right? Or, or the wonderful sounding music, but it's about God's people rising up and scattering to the point to where they're being relational and they're taking others with them to the point that God fills up his house. Because the way we do life together, as a result of Paul, Taking Timothy along with him, the churches were strengthened and grew larger. I love how early in this passage it says that Timothy's father was a Greek. I think there's a reason that was pointed out. It says his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Not a Greek believer. It doesn't tell us that. It just says he was a Greek And so I think what is implied here is that his mother was a believer and his father was not. Anybody ever brought up in a home like that? Mom brought you to church, dad stayed home. This is Timothy's situation. I don't know if Timothy's father was a good father, but I assume he wasn't a believer. And so he may have had a father, but did he have a spiritual father? Did he have a man that would show him what it means to be a man of God? and lead him in that way. His father was a Greek. It sounds like other people knew it. He had a father but no spiritual father. And what's beautiful about this is this is where the relationship begins. And we know based on Paul's letters that he refers to Timothy as what? Anybody know? A son in the faith. A true son in the faith. This is beautiful because Paul was a wonderful evangelist. He was a missionary. He was a church planter. On the side, he was a tent maker. He was a prisoner for Christ and eventually a martyr, but in all of that, he was a mentor. I had a Timothy in my life, and uh, it was in my first ministry position. It, uh, uh, Phoenix Calvary Temple down off of Central and um, Glendale, and um, a young man came into our church, and I couldn't even believe it. Right? It was one of those churches like so small that when someone under the age of twenty five comes in, you're like so scared because you're like. Um, if I come on too strong, I'm gonna freak them out and they're never gonna come back, right? But then if, uh, if I don't uh, make an impression, they'll look around and be like, everybody here is really old and so they'll never come back anyway. And so, but this young man came and I didn't realize it, but he was needing a mentor in his life. And so I took him under my wing and he began to help me with youth ministry, and he was a bright kid, uh, a bright future ahead of him, very talented, he was a college baseball player. Um, this dude still has a cannon on him. He actually played uh, with us on our softball team this year, and people are scared to catch his ball um, <laughs> because it like slices, and then if you miss, your teeth are gone, right? And, but this, this kid, he did everything I did, I did youth ministry, so he did youth ministry. I had an after-school outreach program every Wednesday as the middle school next door had early release. He was there. I coached the middle school flag football team. He was my assistant coach. He was emulating everything that I did, and at the time, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even know the type of impact I was making on his Life And to be honest with you, for many years, I struggled to look back at that season in my life as a big, fat failure. You know why? Because I was focused on how many people I could gather rather than how many could be scattered. And I thought I was a failure. I thought I wasn't bearing fruit. I thought I wasn't fulfilling the call that God put on my life. Why? Because I just couldn't get my youth group to grow past 30 kids which in all reality in retrospect that was phenomenal for the church only ran 60 adults on a sunday morning it was phenomenal but i couldn't see that because i didn't think i was a success unless i gathered at least 100 students in our tiny little excuse me youth building but in reality i was making an impact on someone who could also make impact on future someone's I had no idea I was making this type of impact in his life until just recently he reached out to me just a few months ago. He said, look, I've been struggling a little bit. I don't have anyone to talk to right now. You made such a huge impact in my life when I was younger. Can we reconnect? I'll tell you what, that meant the world to me. And now we're meeting on a regular basis. We're gonna be going through a book together and and consequently, you know what his name is? Timothy. How about that, right? But I was so discouraged during that season of my life. Why? Because it all comes down to how we define success. What scoreboard are you looking at? You know, sometimes I remember in football games, because we had a really good football team in high school. I won't talk about college, because that's a different story, right? But in high school, we had this really good football team and we would be up on teams sometimes as much as upwards of 80 to zero, right? And um, sometimes people get pretty um, aggravated when they're losing that bad. And so they start playing dirty. They start you know, throwing punches in the pile when the ref can't see or they have a bad attitude. They try to pick a fight. And we were taught something by our coach that when they started to trash talk, when they started to try to bait us into getting a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, he said, don't say anything. Just look up at the scoreboard and point at it. See, it didn't matter what happened uh, for the opponent. They could have had a great play. They could have just cleaned your clock. They could have got an interception. They could have padded their own personal stats. But in the end, all that matters is who got the W. Do we have more points than our opponent? They can have 550 yards to your 200 yards. But if you've got 30 points to their six points, you came out on top. When you know what your scoreboard is, you don't get distracted by useless statistics, like how many butts are in the chairs right now. How do we know we're looking at the wrong scoreboard as a church? Well, when we think all is well, because people are happy, the building's in good shape, it's full, and there's plenty of money to continue to advance what we're doing together as an organization. When we are satisfied in building our kingdom rather than God's kingdom. And when, when, and when we enjoy those seasons, we don't bother to question whether people are getting saved or discipled or released into ministry, sent out, gathered so that they can scatter. We have to pay attention to the right scoreboard. We have to take others with us, Number two, while you're taking someone with you, let someone take you further. Let someone take you further. I want to read to you quickly here as quick as I can because it's a rather long passage. The greatest mentorship story you can find in the scriptures, in my opinion, at least right now. Sometimes my opinions change, right? But in 2 Kings chapter 2, I wanna read you a story about Elijah and Elisha in these first 15 verses. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, somebody say, that's cool. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down. Together, somebody say together. So they went down together to Bethel, it says. The group of prophets from Bethel, which Bethel was like a school of the prophets, pretty cool. Um, They came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Imagine what that's like going into a school of prophets, right, where everybody can read your mail, right? He knows this is happening and everyone wants him to talk about it but he's a little emotional about it, so this is how he responds. Of course I know, but be quiet about it. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. He's stubborn, right? So they went on together to Jericho. Then a group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha. He just cannot get away from these pesky prophets. And they asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elijah answered, but be quiet about it. Can you feel the tension building in this story and what Elijah meant to Elisha? Let's read on. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. Does this sound familiar? For the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But then Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Finally, 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance. As Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River, then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. Somebody say they crossed the river together. They saw a miracle Together. Then it says they came to the other side. Elijah said to Elisha, I tell me, or, or tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father. I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes. In distress. How many of you think there was something to this little relationship that they shared? Something very heavy, something very deep, something very powerful. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elijah went across When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rest upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Quite a story. Elisha had already seen and heard so much following Elijah, no doubt. Being present as God worked through him in miraculous ways. But if he was going to go any further, he'd need to stick with Elijah. He'd need to continue to follow him to the very end. He would go further with Elijah than he could have ever gone by himself. Let me say that again. He would go further with Elijah than he would have ever gone by himself. Some of you this morning, I believe, have put a cap on where God can lead you because you haven't followed those That he placed in front of you you haven't been willing to follow those that have gone before you see the great ones always stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before them the reason why we have so many advancements in science and medicine today is because scientists and doctors have stood upon the shoulders of those that have done the research before them so we have this back and forth going on right stay here because God told me to go, and he's like, no way, I'm not leaving your side. And so he's like, all right, and they go together. This happens three times. But he says, God told me to go. But Elijah's response is basically, if he's told you to go, then he's told me to go. I wonder if we have anyone in our life like that right now, where if they say, hey, I'm going, you say, when do we leave? If you wanna become what God wants you to become, you have to be willing to go where he wants you to go, amen, and you also have to be willing to go with whom he wants you to go with. So the process is repeated again and again, and it made me think of this this morning. I gotta go to Bethel, I gotta go to Jericho, I gotta go here, I gotta go there. He's reaching the finish line and he knows it. And he's got a checklist of things to accomplish. And God spoke to me this morning. He said, so many people are not being an Elijah to someone or an Elisha to someone because they're using the excuse of, I've got too much on my plate, I'm too busy. But what made such a huge impact in Elisha's life is Elijah said, yeah, I'm busy, but I'm gonna take you with me. Some of you, God wants to set you free from being stuck because you've already felt challenged to do this. You've already felt like God is asking you to walk closely with someone else. But you said, maybe in the next season, maybe when things slow down, maybe if I get that job promotion, maybe if I cut back my hours, maybe when this happens, then I will... But here's the deal, you got life to do no matter what. So why can't you just take somebody with you? And as a a person looking for a mentor, maybe you're using the excuse of being too busy or maybe you see them and you say, I feel bad even asking them because they're too busy. Well, what if you just offered to do life with them? What if you just said, do what you normally do, but can I tag along? I wanna say something to the Elijahs in the room, that you would be on the lookout for those who want what you have to offer. That is the basic requirement of an Elisha in your life, is that you find people and you connect with people that want what you have to offer. That you have someone that you see they're hungry, that there's something you have that they hope rubs off on them. Pay attention to them, acknowledge them, seek them out. And for Elisha's, seek out those that you know you can learn something from. If somebody's got a quality that you admire, guess what? Just like bad company corrupts good character, man, good company will establish things in your life that you desire to have and that God has for you. But you might ask yourself the question, am I an Elijah or an Elisha? Well, I wanna challenge that question first of all. And I wanna give you, some advice, stay in the middle. Here's what I mean. Steve, would you come up here? Steve's one of my favorites, so I got I to gotta use him. Everybody clap for Steve, okay? You moving a little slow today? Can you climb some stairs carefully if I help you? it's a great illustration, right? <laughs> All right, so Steve, I want you to just come up to the top of this platform. Do you need balance or you got it? Okay not trying to like uh, insult you or anything, acting like you can't do it, okay? All right? And so this is, a, this is a sign of mentorship right here, right? We have somebody who's been there before pulling me up the side of the mountain, which this is great, right? But, it, but there's something missing here, isn't there? What's missing here? See, mentorship should always have two arms, one reaching up and one reaching down. So let's see here. I want to ask Ramsey. Come here, Ramsey. I pick Ramsey because he's an awesome dude, but also because he reminds me of Nacho Libre. Ramsey, you are the best. All right. So here's what's beautiful about this, right? If somewhere along the journey on this climb, I start to fall back, I've got somebody pulling me, And I've got somebody pushing me. This is where we live. Regardless of what stage in life you are at, this is where you should live. Can we give it up for my helpers today? Got it? I love you, my brother. Man of God right here. I like that. A little extra enthusiasm at the end. I'll take it. So let's continue the story. As they went ahead, it says in verse seven, that 50 men watched from a distance. I think that's pretty significant because we're about to see the difference between a close walk and a distant walk. Number three is this, because to extend the table, we gotta walk closely. Number three, walk closely with someone. So to, to, so to walk with someone is not just to be like, Hey, let's check in now and then with a phone call. No, 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 If you're going to walk closely with something, you have to come side by side. It's time for some of you to make the transition from watching from a distance to walking closely with others. And within the context of the church, some of you are watching from a distance. And God says, it's time to walk closely with others. We have to come together because every single one of us matters. Every single one of us. What you contribute is vital. It's not something that can be done without. Don't minimize what you offer. Don't minimize what you bring to the table. Everyone else may have brought an entree, right? Maybe they provided the turkey in the main course and you brought salt and pepper. But what you bring is vital to the meal what you bring to the table is vital. Let me ask you this question. I've asked you this before, but it's, it's, it's timely. What if everyone in this church served like you do, worshiped like you do, did community and relationship the way that you do, what type of church would we have? There you go. I hope that we can all answer similarly. But if we don't take our time to ask ourselves that question, then we end up coasting through because our human nature is to settle into comfort. But when we ask difficult questions like, okay, do I need to bring my best today? Do I need to bring my best worship today? Do I need to even show up today? Uh, do I need to give generously today? Whatever that question is that you're debating, ask yourself this follow-up question. What if every way, everyone gave the way I gave today? What kind of gathering would we have? What if everyone worshiped the way that I did today? What kind of worship setting would we have? What if everyone um, leaned in and listened to the preaching of the word and took notes the way that I did today? How much would we gain as a church? What if everyone served on a fountain team with the consistency and the effort and the ownership that I have? What kind of teams would we have? Would this be a church that people would wanna be a part of? So in verse 8, Elijah parts the waters, and again, they cross together. They're experiencing miraculous things together. And then in verse 9, he's already gone back and forth. You stay here. No, you stay here. No, you stay here. No. And so finally, he's like, okay, I see what's happening now. That sounds like Moana. Um, Tell me what I can do for you, he says. Tell me what I can do for you. What does that question reveal to us about Elijah? Well, I think it tells us that he had a legacy, a legacy mindset and a desire to see Elisha receive all that God had for him. He recognized the hunger. He recognized there, there was someone who wanted what he had, and he said, okay, now that I see you're hungry, what is it that I can do for you? And he asked a pretty bold que- uh, request, right? He said, a double share of your spirits. What does that request reveal about Elisha. I think it reveals that he didn't elevate Elijah to an unhealthy level. Or he might have just said, I I just wanna be just like you someday. But instead, Elijah's life inspired him to seek God for everything that he has for him. That's how you know he did a good job mentoring. If you're mentoring somebody and, and they just simply wanna be like you, you've fallen short. But if you show them and you demonstrate a hunger for God and everything he has for you, that they will surpass you and you'll see that as success. He would settle for nothing less than God's divine destiny for him. Let me throw this in here. This is just a little nugget to take away. Be a number two. Be an Elisha long enough to realize that being number one is not all as glamorous as as it looks. I think that's something that he would have realized when walking with him. Like, yeah, I don't just want to step in and do what he did because I see the burden that he had to carry, but I willingly accept the burden that God has given me to carry. And so how does Elijah respond to this request? He says, you have asked a difficult thing. And that wasn't like arrogant, like you want to be twice as good as me? (laughs) That's going to be hard. Good luck with that. But he recognized that the request comes with a sacrifice. Number four is this. Do the hard stuff. You extend your table with others by being willing to do the difficult things. He says, here's the condition of this promise, of this request. He says, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. See, here's the deal, church, most of us would sign up for a double portion, but few of us are willing to pay the price to get it. Because Elijah was willing to do what was difficult, God was willing to give him what he asked for. It it was difficult to make sure he stayed in his back pocket everywhere he went. It was difficult to make sure that he kept his eyes up towards heaven looking for that chariot of fire because he knew that if he stayed aware and alert for those divine moments that he would not miss what God had for him. It was difficult for him to follow Elijah, his spiritual father, On a day where he knew he was gonna be taken from him, but he was willing to do the difficult things. See, there are three qualities, real quick, that I think he gained from embracing this difficult task. Number one, hunger. He showed and displayed a hunger for God, and I think that would have stayed with him. Number two, an alertness to keep looking for divine moments, right? To always have his eyes up towards heaven. Um, I think of how many times I've missed God moments because I realized it just a few moments later because I wasn't in the right, right mindset when I went out. And then finally, commitment to stay in relationship even when relationship gets hard. How many of you are in here and say, relationships are hard, I've experienced that? A double portion comes to those with a hunger for God in their heart. A double portion comes uh, to those who are always looking for divine moments. A double portion comes to those who are committed to walk with others. Doing life together, church, I have a a public service announcement for you. It's difficult, and it should be. Because nothing gained comes from what is easy. It comes from difficulty. It comes comes from tension. It comes from, from sacrifice. And I believe that some of us have missed out on the double portion or whatever portion it is that God has for us. Because we've retreated when relationships got hard. You will never reach your full potential alone. There's simply no context for it. You can't walk out your purpose in isolation. But God has given us others to put our purpose into action. We need Christians who, like Elijah, want to empower others to do more for God than they could ever do on their own. So finally, we see in verse 11 that this chariot of fire appears, which is just really bizarre to think about, right? But I love Elisha's response. He cries out, my father, my father. I don't know that anything else could have come out of my mouth, but whoa! But to cry out, my father, my father, shows that he was not just enamored with the miraculous, but he mourned the loss of a spiritual father. To value the relationship to that extent, This isn't just like, yes, I saw it, just like he promised, and now I know I'm gonna get a double portion. But he cried out, my father, my father, I see. And when his spiritual father disappeared, the Bible says he ripped his clothes and he wept. What kind of relationship are we talking about here? And what do we miss out because we're scared to go there or we're unwilling to pay the price? Some of us are unwilling to even brave the awkward initial conversation and this is what we're missing out on. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare to close, please. Even prophets need relationship church. Elijah, this is the same man, the same man that called fire down from heaven was also a spiritual father. He didn't just cold-heartedly call down fire from heaven and be used as the hand of God in miraculous ways. But he created margin, he extended himself, he created space at his table to ensure that he did so much more than just witness the miraculous, but he wanted to impact generations to come. Now what a fountain of life, church, has the shift in our thinking. What if there is a, a shift in our focus that just sweeps over this place? Talk about a dynamic church. Talk about a community so compelling that people from down the street begin to hear about it and they say, I gotta check out that church on a Sunday morning because some incredible things are happening there. I've never seen people come together the way that they do and love each other. I've never seen them. The people at a church sit at a round table and extend their hand across to the person and the table sitting next to them and, and minister to them and love on them and care for them. I need a family. I didn't know what I was missing, but now I know today it's a family. And I want to be a part of that. Can you introduce me to your father? Can you introduce me to this person that you sing about? Can you introduce me to this person that you jump up and down for? I didn't get it before. But now that I've seen the way that you love one another, now that I've seen the way that you care for one another and spur each other on and lead one another, I get why you jump. I get why you shout. I get why you sing. And I want to be in that family. I want to use this as an opportunity right now. If that's you today, and you say, "I want to be in that family," I don't know this Jesus you're talking about, but this is tugging at my heart, and I know He's what I'm missing. Now, see now, don't get me wrong; the church won't fill that void. Only God will but he uses us to point you towards him. And if you're in the room today, any age in here, from the youngest person to the oldest person, you just say, I wanna know this Jesus you're talking about. Would you just lift up your hand real quick? No shame, we're gonna celebrate with you. Anybody in the room? I I wanna step into a relationship with Jesus today and I want someone to pray with me. I also want you to know that if you're watching us online, that that invitation is extended to you as well. And right now, wherever you are, you can be by yourself in your bedroom. Just go ahead and lift that hand up because God sees that hand. And if you're in the room today and you wanna receive that, even if you didn't raise your hand, all you gotta do today is talk to your table host, that person with the name tag at your table and say, hey, will you pray with me? I wanna know this Jesus and they'll pray with you before you leave today. If you're watching online, you wanna know more about it, email us. You can email me directly, joe at thefountainphx.org and I will reach out to you so fast. The miraculous was born out of an ordained relationship. God wants to do miraculous things in your life that are only birthed out of relationship. So we see at the end of the story, we'll close with this, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak and he too parted the waters with it. Listen to this, back to verse 15. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance, somebody say from a distance, what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rest upon Elisha and they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. See, the ones watching from a distance, they were touched. But the one who walked closely was transformed. Man, church was awesome today. Worship was amazing. Did you hear that sermon? It was fire. But I'd rather hear, man, church was amazing today. Did you see how God touched that man when I reached over across the table and took his hand and prayed for his marriage? Did you see the tears on that woman's face when I led her in a prayer for salvation? Did you see how God moved through that young person at our table that said something so profound that all the silver-haired people had their mouth wide open You are touched by the things you see from a distance. But if you want to be transformed, you got to be involved in the things that you experience by walking with others. It's time to do life together, church. It's time to step into the messy things. It's time to do the difficult things. It's time to answer your phone late at night. It's time to be willing to reach out late at night when you're battling temptation and you say, I'm about to stumble into it, but it's midnight and I don't wanna bother Sheila or I don't wanna bother David or I don't wanna bother Bob. And you make that call. Because guess what, life is messy. And this is what God's church exists for. It is a table that extends and extends and extends to make room for everything that God wants to do in you. And you don't have to apologize for that. And you need to make yourself available in that way as well. I wanna invite you this morning as we close, if you feel God challenging you to walk closely in relationship with others, Even when it's difficult, stand to your feet right now, all over this room. You're saying, God is calling me. It is time to do life. It is time to roll up my sleeves. It's time to get dirty. It's time uh, to be willing to get involved in someone else's drama with love and grace. It's time to, to, to be willing to make the extra effort to break the ice by coming up to somebody and saying, hey, can I walk alongside of you? It's time to get involved with a life group. It's time to sign up for Rooted the next time it comes around because you realize you've got to be in community to become all that God wants you to be. So I want you to do this real quick. If you're in the room and you're like, hey, I'm looking for an Elijah, a mentor. Just lift up your hand real quick. No big deal like, I realize I need an Elijah in my life, a mentor. Amen. Every look around. Look at the hands. Look at the hands. Now, if you're in the room and you say, I feel like God's calling me to be an Elijah and I need an Elisha in my life, lift up your other hand all over the room. Look around. Look around at the hands. Because here's the deal. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you and you're going to have an awkward conversation. It might feel weird at first. But I like to say this, it's always awkward before it's intimate. Every first date you've ever been on was awkward. All relationships are that way. Have the awkward conversation. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray over this beautiful congregation. And I pray that we would take upon the shape and the resemblance of your son Jesus and the way that we do community and that you would create such a compelling community in this church, Lord God, that people are drawn in on a daily basis because we are doing life around the table. We are doing life out in the community. We're doing uh, life in the workplace and in the school and people are being drawn to you because there's a love that has transformed us so much that it changes the way we do life. So, Father, I thank you. And I pray that you would inspire us and lead us to those conversations and that we would learn to walk closely even when it's difficult. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're in agreement with that, can you just give God a hand clap and a praise this morning? And I'm looking forward to the follow up. I'm looking forward to the stories of journeys that you have begun with somebody new this morning. Amen? Praise God. You can go ahead and be seated briefly if you'd like, and I'm gonna invite Johanny to come up here, and he's gonna transition us into a time of offering and announcements.